Good morning. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. My name is Joe Cade. I'm the minister here at Memorial. And we're so grateful that you came to our service today. If you're a guest today, we're um, grateful to have you. We have coffee and donuts over there. We have restrooms back there. We have a security check-in system in, our, uh, in the back that will check in um, preschoolers, both in this service for nursery and also for Sunday school. And if you want to check in your preschooler, you can uh, check them in. You'll get a sticker, they'll get a sticker, and we'll make sure that they are safe. Um, we have exploring membership classes every first Sunday of the month. You can come uh, next Sunday at 10 a.m. It's in the social halls between this building and the sanctuary. And you'll meet people who, uh, all the way from this is my first day to I've recently joined. You'll get another couple of friendly faces and names, and it'll help us get, uh, learn your face and learn your name. Uh, we'll talk about Memorial and what our dreams are and uh, see if you want to be a part of it. So I hope you'll come next Sunday at 10 a.m. Uh, confirmation continues today at 10 a.m. in the social hall. And two weeks from uh, Friday, we'll be going to Lake Junaluska for our confirmation retreat. And I encourage you uh, to pray for our confirmation class as, they, uh, as we prepare for that. Uh, good news for the week. We are starting to use... Our um, retired clergy, we have how many retired clergy in this congregation? Nine. We have nine. Well, eight retired clergy and one active clergy uh, in this congregation. Uh, and we are using them in all sorts of different ways in terms of worship, in terms of strategy, in terms of prayer, in terms of pastoral care. Um, uh, John and Kathy Tomanko are over here. Uh, if y'all will wave to everybody. Uh, John and Kathy are fairly new in our congregation. They're retired from... Uh, Illinois, and John is going to help with pastoral care this week. If you have any uh, needs or you're aware of them in the hospital, uh, if you'll let Beth know and Beth will let John know, and that is because I'm leaving uh, in the morning for New York City. Our um, uh, gracious uh, in-laws are taking our entire family there tomorrow through Saturday, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that if we can get out of town. Um, so I think that is so um, tonight. In terms of programming, uh, we did not have it, period. We did not have any programming tonight. We want you to enjoy time with your family. And if you want, to, uh, if you want us to pray for your loved one today in the worship service, as well as give that prayer card to our um, prayer team on Tuesday morning, I'll ask you to raise your hand. Uh, we'll bring you a note card, and if you'll simply print very, very legibly, and uh, we'll read that card during the service and also give it to our prayer team on Tuesday. I'm going to call on Leanna Morris. Leanna is our uh, interim children's director, lifetime memorial member, and uh, director of the eggs yesterday. <laughs> Good morning. I just had a quick announcement about Planning Center. We would be checking in preschoolers for Sunday school, but I've run out of paper. So we will not be checking in any preschoolers for Sunday school. I apologize, but we will be back up and running next week. Thank you. Fantastic. So we are looking for paper. <laughs> and uh, in the future, you'll get a sticker, your child will get a sticker, and uh, we'll make sure that you're safe. Thank you for coming this morning, and we hope that we have a meaningful service uh, for you. Let's begin our service. Please stand and sing with us. When the music fades stripped away and I simply come 
just to bring something that's worth that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself it's not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you all about you Jesus I'm sorry Lord for the thing I've made it when it's all about you all about you Jesus King of endless world no one could express how much you deserve the one we can all I have is yours, every single breath. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself. It's not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're It's a gloomy day outside, but we know that it's not a sad day at all. It's a happy day because uh, you fulfilled your promise to us. Um, Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that today as we go throughout the family festivities that we'll just keep you in mind above all. Uh, Lord, we love you. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Cross the empty grave, 
Life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out, Jesus is alive. He's alive. sermon. Thank you.
Good morning. I see some other boys and girls coming on down here, so y'all head on down here. But while we're waiting, I want all of you boys and girls to turn and look at your parents, look out there at all the adults, and I want you to very loudly say, Happy Easter. You ready? One, two, three. Happy Easter. Okay, let's do better than that. Turn around, face your your family there, and I want you to scream. This is the one time you get to scream in church, so I want you to turn around and scream, Happy Easter. Ready? One, two, three. Happy Easter. Okay, that was, that was still, that's still kind of weak, but okay. So, how many of you came yesterday to the Easter egg hunt? Raise your hand. Did anybody come to the Easter egg hunt? Did you guys get lots of eggs? Did you get lots of eggs this morning in your Easter basket? What else did you get in your Easter basket? Candy. Okay, this is Miss Lindsay. She got a bunny. She brought it with her. And, and some lipstick. Well, so a lot of times, eggs come in Easter baskets, right? And I got some eggs here, and I'm going to give each of you an egg in just a little bit. So in this egg, like, what do you think is inside this egg? What comes inside of eggs? Candy comes inside of eggs? Well, let's go ahead and let's look and see what kind of candy is in the egg, huh? Money comes in your eggs? Can I come to your house for Easter? You get money too? We're doing this all wrong. You got what? At Grandma's house. Well, Grandma usually does a little bit extra than Mom and Dad. Okay, so let's go ahead and I'm going to check out and see what's inside this egg. Are you ready? It's empty. Well, that's kind of surprising, isn't it? Didn't we expect there to be candy in there? Do you think there's candy in these? I hope so. Well, let me tell you a story about this empty egg. Okay, this empty egg really reminds me of Easter because it's empty and somebody said the tomb. You're right. Miss Leanna told a story similar to this yesterday, so I'm going to kind of spin it a little bit so it's not the same story. But um, a long time ago on Good Friday, and we talked about this a little bit last week, On Good Friday, a very long time ago, Jesus was crucified on the cross, and he died. Then they took his body to a tomb, and um, they laid him to rest. And they covered him with linens, and um, they rolled a great big stone in front of the tomb, so big that it would be impossible to roll the stone away. So on the third day, which is Easter Sunday, which is this day, on the third day, his friends, his disciples, they went down to to visit his grave and to pay their respects. And when they got there... They were very surprised about something. Just like this egg is empty, when they got there, they were very surprised because the big stone had been rolled away and they went inside the tomb and all they found there were the linens and the things left over, but Jesus wasn't there. And they were surprised. So when they went out, there was an angel there and the angel says to them, why are you so surprised? He told you. He told you that this would happen, that on the third day he was going to rise, and he wouldn't be there. So just like this egg is surprisingly empty, they were very surprised by that tomb. All along, Jesus had been telling them what was going to happen. And on the third day, it happened. So will you guys repeat a Bible verse after me? You ready? Oh, you're Abby? It's nice to meet you, Abby. Okay, you guys repeat this after me. It's so nice to meet you, Peyton. You guys all look so pretty in your Easter outfits. Okay, repeat this verse after me. Are you ready? He is not here. He is risen. 
Luke 24, verse 6. Okay, will you bow your heads and say a prayer with me? Dear God, you don't have to repeat, but you can. <laughs> Dear God, we love you so much, and we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. On this day, he is risen, and we love you so much for giving us that promise and that's that huge surprise a long time ago on that Easter Sunday. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Pretty dresses and pretty eggs. Hello. <laughs> We're asked to pray for Tom Hammond. Tom is in the ICU at Pelham Medical Center. Um, went there this morning and he's uh, not well. There's a number of things uh, that he's fighting simultaneously. We ask that you pray for that family. We ask that you pray for Heath Dobson and family with the loss of his son, Bo. Uh, lived in New York, uh, was very young and was very sudden. And if you can pray for the Dobson family. Eric Russell, who has terminal cancer and whose wife is expecting. And for Walker Phillips. With these in mind and those in your hearts and minds, let us pray together. Lord, we are grateful for this place where we may come gather and celebrate you. We're grateful for the hopeful texts that we read, the songs that we sing. And we're grateful for a family that surrounds us. Because as the scripture passages and songs that we've been singing unfold, in this season of Lent, we understand the pain and the regret and the loss, the sickness and the death, that's in human life. But today we realize something special. Open a very familiar story to us, Lord, in a new way for us this day. That you are risen. And the implications of you rising that day and this day. The opportunities that we have to push back against those painful parts of life with your love, with your mercy. Bless us in our journey through this incredibly significant text and open our hearts and minds to your message for us. Inspire us, Lord, as we pray the prayer your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. John 20, 1 to 18. 
has an incredible story that we're going to try to unpack today. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Here's your first phrase I want you to focus on. While it was still dark. This is a double entendre, if not a triple entendre. Number one, it's early enough that it's still dark. I don't know how many of y'all go out in the world before the sun comes up, but you're well aware of uh, the peacefulness of that darkness, the stillness on the roads of that darkness, the uh, deafening quiet of that darkness. And Mary Magdalene went to the tomb in that darkness to go and prepare Jesus. They didn't have enough time on Friday. And you know they've been thinking about it the entire time since. The number one thing families want in that moment is to make it special, meaningful, powerful for their loved one because they know that that loved one would want it to be special. They didn't have that opportunity. So she's going now to make it special. And when she goes, can't. He's gone, and that's very alarming. Second part of that, at least of the darkness, is the author of John plays an awful lot with, the, with uh, light and dark throughout the gospel. And there's darkness in the world in terms of anger, in terms of fear, in terms of sadness, regret, grief. All of these human emotions that pull us apart, that shred us, and those disciples, those people are feeling that darkness in that moment. Regardless of the fact that he's gone now, and what are we going to do? Deep sadness and devotion are replaced with confusion and fear. It's been very few times, but there's been a couple times in 16 years of ministry where family, I've been with a family and we've gone, the uh, person in the hospital has been transferred from a certain place to a certain place, and they said, you're going to go here, and we went there, and they weren't there. And you talk about a sense of, we're not happy to be in the hospital, we're not happy our loved one's sick, is immediately replaced with, where is our loved one, and what have you done? And total fear. Confusion and fear, and I'm wondering when she goes back to the disciples, is she whispering this, or is she screaming this? They've taken him. He's gone, and I don't know what to do. Verse 3 says, So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as a cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So here's your next phrase. Someone was faster to arrive and faster to believe. Some think it's the author of this gospel. Um, noted, I think, interestingly, when he says, the one Jesus loved. 
the author who writes this gospel so frequently says, the one Jesus loved, I'm also faster. I was the faster to get to the, uh, uh, to the tomb. This is not a surprise because Peter is first to act. He might not be the fastest, but he's the first to go in. Fearless in terms of what he's going to do, in terms of what he's going to say, in terms of what he's going to do. But his faith is shaky. You notice how it took that other disciple a minute to go in. You might uh, uh, completely understand why he was reluctant to go in. But when he goes in, that other disciple believes immediately. Both of them, it says, struggled to understand because they didn't exactly recall the Scripture. In this crucially important moment in which they were tired, which they were burned out, in which they were scared. You might say a uh, um, college student doing a major, major final for a class that studied for that class a long time and gone to a bunch of lectures, but somehow in this moment, I can't remember exactly what the professor said. I just can't. Or maybe I wasn't totally paying attention when the professor said it. Maybe while the professor said it, I was looking at my phone. Maybe it buzzed, and you know, I just had to look because that's part of it. And maybe the professor said the most important thing the professor was going to say all semester long, and I missed it. These disciples in this moment cannot exactly remember what Jesus said. What are your guesses as to how many times Jesus told them that he had to go to Jerusalem, that this was going to happen, and he was going to be raised? Three times. But they struggle to remember. And it goes back to Mary Magdalene in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to, into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not recognize it was Jesus. So here's your next phrase. My Lord is gone. He's gone. And just like um, Zechariah when he was in the temple and he was preparing for, uh, for a uh, an important part of worship, but a regular part of worship, and an angel stood there and said, you're going to have a son, I've always made fun of him for not immediately believing, well, here's an angel here. It's probably pretty authoritative. He said, well, how am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to know that's going to happen? Mary is there, and I don't know if they're plainclothes angels. Isn't it necessarily clear? In the other Gospels, it said they were shining bright, but in this one, it says they were in white. But it's clearly not enough of an indication for her to say, oh, angels, this makes total sense. In that moment... She just says, my Lord is gone. There's a phrase they really gave us all throughout seminary and all throughout my pursuit of ordination in the United Methodist Church. Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a really important phrase because it points out Jesus was a human being from Nazareth. Just a human being. In fact, many people from Nazareth said, this guy? From that place? Human being, Christ the Messiah, the one who has come to deliver us, is my Lord, is the one for whom I am totally devoted and paying attention to. 
And she says, my Lord is gone. He's gone. This is not a happy day. This is not a joyous occasion. This is total fright and fear. And here are these two men. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you will put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So here's your next phrase, gardener or teacher? Fascinating, those two words. Fascinating that she thinks he's the gardener. And this is not the only time. There'll be multiple times in which the risen Jesus is mistaken for someone else. And it takes some kind of act for people to recognize who he is. And for some, it's a miracle of catching fish. For some, it's saying their name. For some, it's breaking bread. But in each occasion, this man who we don't exactly know, and we mock a little bit, is all of a sudden realized as the risen Lord Jesus Christ. The fascinating word, uh, part is the two words. So what happened in the Garden of Eden? Two people were given everything they could ever hope for. And given very simple rules. And also given limitations. And those two people in that garden broke the limitations that they were given because what they had was not enough. We would mock them if we didn't look at the next thing and want it because it's so sparkly. There's a parable that Jesus tells of a man who created a, wine, a winery gave them an opportunity to run it, left it, and when he came back, those people thought that they owned it. It's ours. Well, you don't even do any work. You didn't do anything. And those people in that garden struggled to do anything that Jesus talked about. Here is a gardener who is taking care of the garden as the one and only priority. But also as teacher. Think how many times the people in that moment struggled to understand what Jesus was saying, so he gave them all sorts of different opportunities in terms of parables, metaphors, similes, things in their life, the real world that were going on that they could understand. And when he says that name, she recognizes him as a teacher. Immediately, Jesus is instructing her again in verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, she said. And she told them the things that he said to her. So I love this phrase. It really sticks out to me this time as I read it. Go instead to my brothers. Why did Jesus have to say this? Because everywhere where Jesus was, people wanted him to stop. Can you, can you stop? Can you stay right here? And anytime I feel something or need something or want something, could you grant it? That'd be great. Could you stop and heal me? Could you stop and teach me? The people also want to stop. 
during amazing times in Jesus' life. When they go up on a mountain and he shows them something more fascinating than they could ever understand, the disciples say, could we just stop right here and stay right here? Think about the moments that you've been on um, retreats in amazing parts of nature, whether it be the beach or the mountains. There's times when I've gone up to um, Pretty Place or... Um, is Pretty Place Kent Greenville or is that two separate things? So Kent Greenville, pretty... Anyway, you go up there and you look out at the mountains, you look out at the sunset and you just go, hmm, can we, can we just stop right here and, and let this be it? Nope. We've got to go back into town. Jesus knows that she wants him to stay right there and fix it until she's gone. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. Now that you recognize who I am, understand that I'm leaving. And understand that it's you that's going to tell people about me. So I faced a major reality in the first year of every appointment I've served. In uh, the summer of 2000, I started in Seneca in a two-point charge, two little churches that had 40 people each. And my major reality was that I was a rookie. I didn't know a single thing. I'd been in church my entire life, and I didn't know how to take up the offering. And I, for some reason, I didn't really uh, research all that. I walked into it. I walked in the church on a Wednesday, and I said, uh, well, what do we do when this happens? And they said, What? You don't know how to do it? And I said, no, I'm 22. I'm, I, don't, I mean, I sort of paid attention. I don't know anything. So I had to respond to that reality, and I did what I knew I could do, which was visit. I visited people in their homes. I visited people in their hospitals. I leaned on the bed of their truck, and one day, leaned, or one day dreamed of having a truck of which I could lean on the bed with someone and chat with them. And all of a sudden, the things that I didn't know weren't near as important as my being with them in their pain, their loss, their grief. And that was an important lesson I had to have for ministry. In 2004, I left for Charleston, and I was at a church called John Wesley. It was a church about this size physically, but had about 500 people. And it had a huge staff. And I immediately learned that there are all kinds of people and they have all kinds of personalities, and this gear's going to have to fit with this gear, and this gear's going to have to fit with this gear, and it doesn't look like those two gears fit. I was the only one in the previous church. I just did everything. And all of a sudden, I had to learn dynamics of a team and what that meant. In 2007, I went to Mount Pleasant. It was a new church start that was in a school cafeteria. It only had about 35 people. It was five or six years old, and they were brokenhearted. I'd gone from a church that was about 60 years old and was thriving to a church that was about five years old and was suffering. They were heartbroken. They had a trailer that kept all their worship stuff, and that trailer was, was stolen right before I went. The AC was planned by the district, and the district didn't know what we were doing. And I had to learn how to pick people up, how to help people dream again, how to build a vision. How to move forward. I went to Buncombe Street in downtown Greenville in 2011. And there were times in the last church when I redlined it a little too hard. And I've shared that with you before. And I used the image of uh, Maverick and Top Gun. Just pushed it too hard. 
And when I went to Buncombe Street, I was sort of like, uh, uh, I had come from a very hard relationship, and I was going to prove that I could be a solid person in a relationship, of course, with the church. And so I worked and 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 ran myself ragged. And about this time, I got pneumonia and was out for a month. And I learned that there, yes, you do need to work hard, but yes, you better step away if you want to have any sort of longevity. If I had not been in all four of those places, I wouldn't have known the things that I had to know to come here. So I'll tell you what I've learned here in this first year. Two churches back was a new church start. So everybody was, uh, it was all young couples in their 30s and a couple retirees that were healthy. No one was sick. At Buncombe Street, our job descriptions were like, uh, my piece of the pie was like this. It was a 60-hour week, but it was this much of ministry. I didn't really wasn't with sick people that much. And so for eight years, I wasn't part of sickness very much. The reality that has hit me here at Memorial, being the only minister in a fairly large church that has ages all over the place, is that sickness and death are relentlessly and unapologetically part of life. They are. I've also lost a dear, dear friend of mine to death that we've come up together in ministry. So, with that reality, I've consistently realized the love, the care, the total passion to be present for other people that this church has shown to its um, members and to the community that overpowers that sickness and death. Sickness and, sickness and death have a window. They've got a, a, a one-time deal. They can be influential that one time. But when we talk about the kingdom of God as a present and future reality, as we talk about the life lived before our death, we are given just a miraculous opportunity. And after death, we're given resurrection, which is a miraculous opportunity. And so in this year, the thing I've truly focused on is the life lived before death and the resurrection after death. And with this window of time that each of us has, that we don't know how long it will be, I want you to consider the phrase that Jesus gave Mary directly following the resurrection. Go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers that this loss of life, this pain, this injustice is short term. And that you have the power in this place to declare that it's short-term in my name. Now, you may be very unlikely to speak to a person in the Wells Fargo line and say, did you know Christ has risen? Despite the fact that um, your bank balance seems rather uh, limited. I doubt that you'll be at uh, uh, Sonic and get whatever drink it is and say, you know Christ is... I know that that person really ran you ragged and didn't give you a tip, but Christ has risen. 
You're not likely going to do that. There's brief opportunities where you can share, but before you ever say a word, people see your actions. People see your attitudes. People see your faith, your belief. You're standing in the way of the unapologetic and relentless sickness and death that is part of this life and declaring the fact that Jesus Christ is risen and that our lives are deeply impacted by it. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Lord, we apologize for the times in which we lost focus, in which you have shared some of the critically important, troubling things that were coming. We apologize for the times in which we wanted you to stop and do the thing that we wanted, when we wanted, how we wanted. We apologize when we step back, when the crowd says, that's a silly thing to follow and a silly thing to believe in. But we, we embrace your grace for us, your new covenant with us, and the opportunity to go forth from this place and share with our brothers and sisters a little bit with our words, but primarily with our actions. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Please stand and join me in our affirmation together. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope. In life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. We'll now give our tithes and other offerings. I encourage you to pay attention uh, to our numbers every week. We are um, having a tremendous year thanks to your uh, faithfulness and commitment, and we thank you.
Stand and sing with us. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, we're going to do something a little different today. I want you to have a seat. This service has been around for some time, and there have been different elements that have led us in music. But one of the constants since this service has been here has been Ann Phillips. Today is going to be Ann's last day playing with us. Not her last day at Memorial, but her last day to a 49 to 52 week commitment of being up in front and uh, playing for us. So I'm going to call on uh, Cindy Davis and Ann, I want you to come on out and the band come out as well. When I took this job as um, Contemporary Worship Director almost two years ago, there was a lot of transition with the praise band. Almost everybody transitioned out, except Anne. And she took me under her wing and supported me and helped us grow into what we have today. And today, we are going to honor her and her years of service with the praise band. She's been here since about the time that this service started. Um, and I'm going to present her with a framed picture of our church. And it reads, presented to Ann Phillips in honor of 11 years of service, Memorial United Methodist, March 27th, 2016. Thank you, Anne, for everything. I'm going to ask you all to stand. And Anne, I'm going to ask you to come out to mid-court and the band, you can come with us. Come on. Y'all all turn towards her. She's going to become part of the congregation now. We're going to pray for her. Anne loves to be the center of attention. It's her favorite thing ever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those who have been so committed to the growth of this church, to the proclamation of your word. And today we're so grateful for Anne and how she showed up about as frequently as gravity to help lead us. Bless her in her journey going forward from band commitment and into future commitments in this church. Bless us all in this service as we attempt to proclaim your word through prayer, song, and scripture. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's something in a minister's life um, I don't well up a lot. It's just not my nature. But I do well up when I think about commitment, when I think about people who are going to be there. I'm coming. You can count on it. And Anne, I'm grateful that you did that. I'm grateful for all of you here at Memorial that makes this place what it is. And I ask you to go in peace. Christ is risen. Go in peace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen.